Well, it really is a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Um, and thank you so much for this. I honestly thought this was Steve's invoice for the survey when, he, when I saw him with that. But that is, that is so incredibly kind um, and very, very much appreciated. It, it's a much longer story than I'm even here to talk about today. But um, actually, in the Church of England, things are uh, always complicated. So actually, the diocese sold the building um, in 1981, which isn't the church. The church didn't want to sell it, funnily enough. Uh, so the church are delighted that we have the opportunity to to reclaim a building, which for us just seems so strategic, and that actually the two buildings belong together. And we see this as a kind of reuniting of things which should probably never have been um, uh, split up. And it's not being bought for us to live in. We don't want to live there. We're happy not to live above the shop, if that makes sense. But we have great um, aspirations and vision for community work and youth work taking place there so th- th- this comes as a massive blessing uh, not least just to know that the, there's there are other churches with us on this project so um thank you so so much that's taken me by surprise in a lovely way so thank you it's been mentioned already that i was youth worker uh, here in in the town in the parish that i'm now back vicar in and i know recognize some people from those days uh, good to see you again and um we left weymouth in 2008 when our eldest uh, son Noah was three months old and we left with no particular thought of ever coming back to Weymouth. We'd had a great time, but we thought that was it for a chapter and absolutely no thought of ever getting ordained and becoming a vicar. And so when you find yourself back in the place that you never thought you'd be doing the thing that you never thought you'd do, you can only say, well, it's God, isn't it? In his sense of humor and in his grace as well. But um, uh, we've been back in Weymouth for two two years just under and um, having a great time up at St. John's. I really appreciated the marathon. Um, the marathon reference. I'm looking for the person who gave the marathon reference now. She's gone. But well done, well done on the marathon. Uh, ministry certainly feels a, a marathon, not, not a sprint. And um, so that was really helpful to, to hear that this morning. So I'm married to Susie. We've got four children, uh, Noah, Poppy, Isaac, and Jacob. Originally, I'm not from Weymouth. I'm from Leicester, which means I'm a Leicester City fan. You a Leicester man? No. <laughs> You're a Leicester man. Oh, my son's a Tottenham supporter. Don't know how it's happened, but there we go. Um, And as you will know, I'm going to get into what I'm talking about in a minute. And this is the segue in. One of Leicester's greatest ever footballers is the now presenter of Match of the Day, Gary Lineker. Now, I don't want you to dwell on Gary Lineker uh, for most of this morning, but Gary Lineker was one of Leicester's greatest ever players. He went on to play for Tottenham Hotspur, of course, went to play for Barcelona. It was and still is one of England's... um, all-time greatest players and greatest goal scorers. But if you were to go on YouTube, and and I've never even done this, but type in kind of Gary Lineker's greatest goals, it would be really boring because Gary Lineker never scored spectacular goals. You know, sometimes if you like football, you'll see a match of the day, someone will, will just score a world-class goal from 30 yards out and bend it into the top corner. Gary never scored goals like that. Gary was the fox in the box which meant that he just always was in the right place at the right time in order to score a hatful of goals. And they were never spectacular, but what was spectacular is how many goals he scored. And I want you to hold that idea in your mind as I get into what I'm going to talk about, about positioning and availability and whether our kind of heart's desire is to be spectacular or effective. And just think about where do you put yourself in order to be used by God, and some of the things that have been said already this morning are really helpful as we think um, as we think about that. I'd like to start. I hope we might see some things I, um, up on the screen. We're going to kind of start with with this this verse, and I'll try not to get in the way of it. This comes at a moment in Luke's gospel, which we could see as a as a hinge in the gospel. 
Jesus has gathered his followers and that group of followers has grown and grown and they're enjoying the good times. They're enjoying the Jesus who turns water into wine. They're seeing his miracles. They're hearing his teaching. They're ministering in his name. It's good being a follower of Jesus. And around this kind of time in the gospel, the attention shifts towards the journey to Jerusalem and the, all that was going to happen to Jesus there. And so the disciples, all of a sudden, as you read that those moments, you can read about it in, um, in all four gospels, as the realization of what Jesus is here to do dawns on the disciples, we see their confusion, we see their wrestling with it, we see their questions, we see them putting their feet in their mouths on several occasions because they've got two things to get their head around. One is that Jesus is going to die. The Messiah, the long awaited for, is going to suffer and die. And they've got to start getting their head around this. And this, what Jesus says here, comes in the context of him introducing that idea to them in Luke's gospel. And the second thing they have to get their head around is that not only is Jesus going to die, but the calling on them as their disciples is also to lose their lives. Not necessarily in the same way that Christ would, but here's how he put it. If anyone would come after me, be a follower of mine, he, she must de deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me will save it and we can often give the disciples a hard time for the silly things they say and the rash judgments they get to but i think they had so much to try and get their head around on this occasion jesus their lord their friend their savior is going to die and they too in different ways will need to lose their life if they're going to follow him and so I want to just think about this powerful verse and what it means for us. And we're going to spin back into Luke's gospel um, in a few moments time. Jesus is talking about his sacrificial death in this moment. And he get, then talks to them about sacrifice. And so when we think about what it means for us to carry our crosses and to be sacrificial, maybe we have in mind something big and dramatic. The sacrifice that Jesus was heading towards was big and dramatic on a universal scale. Spectacular, just to refer back to Gary Lineker. A spectacular moment was coming on the cross and in the resurrection. And so when we think about sacrifice, perhaps we also think about when those big moments come, will we be ready to take the sacrificial option, the godly option? Maybe we have in our head, because of what Jesus is talking about, that for ourselves, yeah, well, when that big moment comes, Lord, I want to be ready to sacrifice. But Jesus's very life was sacrificial. The very incarnation that we'll be celebrating in a couple of months' time was totally sacrificial. His whole life was one of sacrifice. Not just a life that had a moment of sacrifice in it, but everything he did was sacrificial. The lifestyle he chose. He wasn't a pre-programmed robot. He made choices as fully human every day. He sacrificed his comfort, his wealth, his reputation, his time, his energy. All of it was given to God sacrificially as he surrendered to his father's will. And so for the great theme in there, carrying our cross and sacrifice and dying to ourselves, the most challenging word for me is the word daily. Daily surrender, daily sacrifice. I hope that when the big moments come, I'm ready to be 
spectacularly sacrificial for God. What does it mean to be daily sacrificial with God? What does it look like? What does daily surrender look like for us? That's what I want to focus on. Not the spectacular, not the big life-changing moments, but every day. What does it look like to live a surrendered, sacrificial life? And what I'm going to share, I think, is really simple. And it will be profound if we get to live it out. And so I want to kind of say it's simple but profound. I think things become profound when we live them and we realize the truth of God's word. So God's word that I'm going to look at in a minute, I think, is really, really simple. And I kind of make no apologies for that. But in order for it to be profound, I and we need to really, really put it into practice every day. And this is something that I continue to work on. And I go through seasons of doing well and not doing so well. Just be wherever you are on it this morning. But let's hope that God moves us on a a bit together. Let's go back to Luke 6. And I think we'll see this up on the screen as well if we flick on. Oh, no, hang on. I've forgotten about this. I've forgotten about the aeroplane. Here we go. Anyone know what that, what that is? Anyone remember that, that story? Yes, an aeroplane. Thank you. We're awake this morning. Hudson River. Okay. Hudson River. Um, th- this was an amazing moment. The 15th of January, 2009, Captain Chelsea Sully Sullenberger III, I think he was American, uh, a captain of the U.S. Airways, um, Some say miraculously landed his Airbus A320 plane full of passengers on the Hudson River in New York. The the engines were knocked out by a flock of geese and it suddenly, it only just taken off, it had to land and he landed it on the river. Now, Tom Wright, who's a um, a former bishop and a theologian, brilliant thinker, um, has used this as, as an analogy as he's thought about what it is to be godly and to be sacrificial, and to live the life that God calls us to. And he writes this, Sully, that's the captain, didn't have time to think. He'd done all the hard work over the previous 30 years of his career. Courage is not rushing off into battle, having had a stiff drink and waving a sword around and yelling. Anyone can do that. Courage is what happens when you take a thousand small decisions to put someone else's safety ahead of your own. Some of those decisions may be difficult, but you get used to doing it. And then suddenly there is a major crisis. And without thinking, you automatically put other people's safety ahead of your own. And what Tom Wright goes on to say is that there was the spectacular moment of sacrifice, the big moment in Sully's career. And it was born out of daily, methodical, meticulous training and attention to detail. And that's the kind of thing we're thinking about today. What's our daily rhythm, our daily meticulous training as Christians? If we can flick on again, that would be really good. Thank you. There he is. Luke 6, 47. Jesus has just finished a huge block of uh, teaching on a whole range of things. And he concludes with the story of the wise and the foolish builders. And this is how he introduces that parable. I'll show you what the person is like who comes to me, hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. We're not going to get into the story of the wise and the foolish builders, but here's a verse which has, I guess, become a bit of a life verse for me. And years ago, uh, when I was training to be a vicar, I got up one morning early to pray, which I don't do often enough, but on this occasion I did, and God rewarded it. It was one of those moments where, perhaps you've had it before, you, you could read the Bible loads of times, but there are moments where it just seems that God highlights something and grabs your attention with it. 
And he highlighted this for me. And it was something I'd never noticed before. After many, many years of singing about the wise and the foolish builder and hearing the story and all those kind of things, here's what I'd never really noticed before. The person who's the wise builder, who has their life on the foundation of the rock, they have three habits. They come to me, they hear my words, and they put them into practice. I must have read that verse probably a hundred times and just skipped to the, the fun bit about the builders. But three things which set us apart as followers of Christ. We come to him, we hear his words, and we put them into practice. And if we could just flick on again, that would be really, really good. Now that's simple, but I think it's profound when we can actually daily make this our reality. And some days it is for me and some days it's not for all the reasons which are probably the same reasons as why it's a struggle for you. But there is what I think is our daily rhythm as Christians. And I believe our rhythm as a church. And so I kind of came into St. John saying that this is what we're called to as a church. We as a church come to Jesus as we worship. That's what we do. We come to him. Not just an idea, not a concept, but we come to him. We hear him speak in his word and through his spirit. And then we get out there and we do the work. I'm preaching to the choir here because these are the very things that you're doing as a church. It's instantly obvious as I come here this morning. But here's one of the first things that challenged me about these three things. Um, I wonder which is your favorite. We're all built differently. We'll have different temperaments. We'll have different experiences. I wonder which is your favorite of those three things. Because I reflected on it and I could think of different churches I've been part of. And I can think of a church where they were great at coming to Jesus, loved worshiping, loved experiencing him, loved that, there we go, loved that sense of um, drawing near to God. But when it came to God's word, not, not so much. And when it came to actually doing stuff, well, uh, okay, if you like that kind of thing. I know other churches where they kind of bypass the encounter with Jesus and get straight to the word. And it's great. And this is life-giving and it's wonderful, but it kind of just misses the person who's invited us to get to know it. It just is a little bit dry. And then other churches I've known where actually they're, they're full of activists, people who just love making a difference for the kingdom. But actually the coming to Jesus and the studying of the word, neither of which comes really naturally. And what Jesus is saying to us here is it doesn't matter which is your favorite. You've got to do all three as a church. And I think that our churches have personalities and we maybe favor these things. But Jesus is saying these things belong together. This is what whole discipleship looks like for us as a community, but also, as I'm thinking today, really about for us as individuals. And so I'm just going to go through those three things really quickly and really basically. And I hope that the culmination of this is that you and I can say a prayer at the end, which says, God, I want to start again or keep going or whatever the appropriate language is for you. I want to get back into this being my daily habit, my daily rhythm. Come to me. The wise one is the one who comes to Jesus. It's such a gracious and mind-boggling invitation. Jesus makes it explicit in Matthew 11, 20, 28. Come to me, all who are weary. So gracious. This is Jesus, the, the son of God, the image of the invisible God, the one by whom all things were created. He's before all things. In him, all things hold together. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's perfect. He's holy. He's powerful. He's fair. He's kind. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And he invites us to share his life with him, to spend our time with him corporately 
and on our own. And habit number one, spend time with him. So simple, isn't it? But it really is the best thing for us. The psalmist had it right. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. In other words, I'd rather just be on the edge of God's house than right at the middle of sin. What a great thing to be able to express. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. Many of us know this is true, but if we're honest, do our lives exude it? Today's the day to renew that commitment to saying I'd rather be with Jesus than anywhere else. We have to go and do a load of other things too, but we go with Jesus and we make time for him. We have to be intentional about it. And we hear his words. Alongside the question of spending time with God, it's about the posture that you're in when you're with him, not necessarily physically, but of our hearts. Are we ready to listen? When we come to him, the rhythm Jesus is demonstrating here is that you come with the expectation that he will teach. You come to him as teacher. And so we listen to his words. We can think of scripture as God breathed. And we must engage with it fully and find the most appropriate ways to do it, which help us to really, really feed on it and allow it to speak to us. And because I guess we're charismatic Christians, we also think of Jesus's phrases, including the way he speaks to us in other ways as well. The way he would speak to us through his creation, the way he speaks to us through his spirit, through one another, the way that he's spoken to us as we've gathered together this morning. One of our challenges at St. John's is that we're starting to learn a bit more about how to do that. We are lovers of the word up at St. John's, and that's brilliant. It's a treasure. And we're learning now how to listen to God in other ways as well. And it's exciting. It really, really is. It kind of isn't smooth at all, but it is exciting. <laughs> there we go. It was an amen almost from the side there. It's not smooth. It's messy. And, um, and sometimes, you know, you think, oh, no, no, not you again. Please, no. <laughs> but God speaks. God is speaking. But we're learning how to do it. This is a habit that we've not been in as a church, but we need to grow in that habit. When Jesus is uh, using the phrase that we've talked about here, he, say, he describes actually the, it's a, a better translation, even than the one I put up to say, here's these words of mine. He's tying that statement to the words he's just spoken. And so you need to back read Luke 6 to realize, well, what's he just spoken about? Well, in Matthew, we see um, a very similar thing. He finishes the Sermon on the Mount and finishes with the parable of the, uh, of the wise builder those who hear these words of mine. We think about it in terms of everything God might say. Actually, to be loyal to that text, Jesus is saying, it's these things I've just said, they're the things that you need to listen to. And so what's he just said in uh, the sermon that he's just preached in Luke, uh, very similar to what we see on the Sermon on the Mount. Well, here's just some of the things that he's just said, the things he said, I want you now to listen and put this into practice. He's talked about anger. He's talked about lust. Our thoughts, our relationships, integrity, generosity, patience, loving your enemies, finances, prayer, fasting, temptation, forgiveness, hypocrisy, what we treasure, our motivation, our attitude, self-esteem, worry, clothes, food, trust, faith, being judgmental, making right and godly choices. These words of mine that he's referring to cover the whole of life. 
And so when he says the, the wise disciple is one who comes to me and hears these words of mine, he's talking about so, so much. He's not talking about a little bit of additional teaching, which can sit nicely alongside all the other good things that you get to do in your life. He's saying that my words will speak into every aspect of your lives. The wise builder is the one who allows them to. And so listen to these words of mine. And it's worth a bit of homework going back and saying, well, what actually was Jesus saying? And how do we let it challenge us again? And so are we listening to him in terms of the our opening of the Bible? If I'm honest, again, there are people at our church who are a bit nervous about listening to God in other ways than scripture. I understand that. Um, I think that that's okay. And um, But we're, we're learning as we go. We're going at a, a good pace. And um, But I always say God speaking to us is as close as your nearest Bible. Because that's true. If we really believe what the Bible says about the Bible, we know that whenever we read it, God will speak to us. Not always in that way where we kind of have an instant reaction, but sometimes just in the way that just like every time you eat a meal, you know it's doing something for your insides. Every time you read scripture, whether it's blinding revelation or just another passage, it's doing as good. We trust in God's word, but we continue to make space to listen to his voice in the many, many ways that he wants to speak to us. And we recognize that it's a voice that speaks into the whole of our lives. So let's go back to these three. In the parable of the wise and the foolish builders, both builders come to Jesus. Both builders hear his words, but only one has a firm foundation. And the difference between the two is number three. It's the one who puts them into practice. It's that third trait, the third habit of obedience. James says, be doers of the word. Your faith without deeds is dead. Just think again of that list of what Jesus covers in his teaching. How are we getting on at putting those words into practice? Are there areas of compromise, wrong habits, mindsets that we allow and accommodate? Are the conversations that we get drawn into and indulge in? The Anglican Confession, which we um, say most weeks when we meet together, we kind of corporately confess our mistakes and mess ups. Um, it talks about asking God to forgive us for both the things we have done and those things we have left undone. And I find that really, really helpful. It's not just about the things that we do, but what are we failing to do in order to really put Jesus's teaching into practice? Are we doing thinking or saying anything that we shouldn't be? Are we not doing thinking or saying things that we should be? Jesus says, take up your cross daily. We're called to daily obedience in all areas, and it may often be uncomfortable. It will always be costly, always be costly. We have small opportunities every day to grow in the habit, to dig that little deeper, to shore up our foundations, whether it's holding our tongue, speaking up, giving our time, you giving your money so generously, encouraging people, resisting temptation, telling the truth, owning up, saying sorry, forgiving thanking, trusting. None of these things are spectacular. They're the kind of six-yard goals that Gary Lineker used to score just because you're in the right place to do them. You'll find it so much quicker to own up, to say sorry, to be the first to say sorry in a relationship, to forgive, to bring a word of encouragement if you're living out these things. As Gary Lineker, you're in the right place at the right time for, for God to use you in quick moments in order to be really, really effective. 
And so all three of these traits require sacrifice every day. They'll take your time. And um, there isn't more time in the day, is there? I've been looking for it. Can't find it. There isn't any more. We'll get the same amount. We just have to choose wisely what we do with it. This will take your time. And it will maybe take time off something else that you quite enjoy doing and want to do. This is daily surrender, daily sacrifice. But these are the small ways in which we cultivate that life of sacrifice. And who knows when those big moments will come, those needing to crash land the Airbus on the river type moments. We'll be that much more ready to respond to God in those moments because of the life that we've led. And it's not just practice in order for the big moment to go well. It's because this is the fullness of life that Jesus promises to us. This is what it looks like. It kind of sounds a bit drudgery, even as I talk about it this morning. It's like, oh, really? We have to do this? It's kind of costly. Well, we don't want to sugarcoat it and pretend it's any other way. But it's life-giving. It's affirming. It brings life to others. Tim Keller says uh, that he's, he's addressing pastors, and he says, your people's greatest need is to be around someone who's been around God. And actually, it's not a message to pastors. It's a message to all of us. Weymouth's greatest need is to be around people who've been around God. And so we have to do this. Otherwise, we're not around him. Or we might kind of feel like we're near him, but we never know what he thinks or what he says. Or we can't just be people who go out and do stuff because it kind of becomes hollow. And the people in your family, on your street, their greatest need is to be around people who have been around God. And Jesus is saying to be around me means these three things. And your life will be secure. We've had a reference already to the anchor in the storm. In the parable of the, um, of the wise and foolish builders, there's no if about the storm. It doesn't say if a storm comes. It says when the storm comes. We all know that in life. There's no, or I might just, might just again, I'm a marathon person not here. Not just in case you just might get through it. It will be hard. But this is the life-affirming, life-giving way to do life. And I'm thankful that God kind of put a ring around this uh, a few years ago for me. And I'm, but I'm still really learning to do it. I'll be honest. I still need, even today, to renew my commitment to this daily rhythm. Come to Jesus. Allow him to speak. And then go out with him to put it into practice. And on the off chance that I'm not the only one, I, I'd like to lead us in a prayer, if that's all right. Should we stand as we pray? Perhaps just in a moment of quiet, just um, bring before God whatever it is you need to bring before him. What's, whatever he's stirred up in these last few minutes together. And Holy Spirit, I ask that in your gentleness and in your love, you would come and you'd put the finger on whatever it is that's wrong. Whatever it is that's not the way it should be in our lives. But we, we welcome you doing that work in us this morning.
And Lord, as we think about what it means to daily surrender to you, help us even now to think, what's that going to look like tomorrow? What, what needs to change? What's got to give? And Lord, I ask that you would put in mine and our hearts a deep conviction and faith that this is the only way. And Lord, may we find joy in living this way for you. And so, Lord, now we just want to respond to the invitation again to come to you. We come to you. Thank you, Lord.